Okay. Welcome to Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. Let me make sure I've got the volume turned up here. Uh, I'm the producer and host, Janine Mala. We've changed the format a little bit here so that since I do both shows, PNN, which is Progressive News Network, and EJR, which is the Environmental Justice Report, will kind of alternate on Sundays. Okay? And we'll still, we may have a Thursday show on occasion. That'll be a special report. So this week, we're doing EJR, or the Environmental Justice Report. And I didn't have a chance to really put the advert out this week, unfortunately, because I found this story pretty quickly. Ironically, this is a story that I reported on back in 2015. So it's still going on. It's still a very a very important thing. So let me just kind of get into it. If you saw the advert, you saw it said, corporations fight climate law by suing governments. You think, what the heck? So apparently the very corporations responsible for trashing our planet are suing governments globally in a desperate attempt to kill any meaningful climate justice law. Now, both the mainstream press and progressive outlets like the Young Turks with Shank Uger, which I love, are reporting the stories if it were a new phenomenon. It's not. Okay, this process has been in effect for years, dating all the way back to the administration of Bill Clinton and the first NAFTA treaty. Okay, and it has been this thing that we're going to talk about today has been basically uh, signed off on by Democrats and Republicans alike with only a few true progressive champions saying, no, no way, this is a scam. So what are we talking about here? Well, the process that, by which corporations can sue governments is a specific tool that permeates all of our multilateral trade agreements since the Clinton administration, and it's called ISDS, or Investor State Dispute Settlement. Now, ISDS is essentially a kangaroo court. The judges, well, they're, they're actually called, quote, in air quotes, arbitrators, and they often come from the ranks of the same corporate law firms that are paid by the very polluters bringing the lawsuit against our government. It is a dishonest setup, and as I said just a minute ago, both Democrats and Republicans signed off on this Faustian deal, the fraud. I have written on this subject for some time now. All right, I actually did a series which ran in the now defunct UK Progressive, so people in the EU saw it, as well as in Nation of Change, and I believe Op-Ed News with Rob Call. And so we're going to be talking about this today. Um, and, you know, it's ironic that this came about because I'm actually working on a journalistic book about a lot of this. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about a piece that ran June 8th, a couple weeks ago, and it ran in uh, a publication called Believer, which is basically a, a publication started by noted journalist David Sirota. Now, the piece is written by Rashika hard to car. The headline is, quote, Big Oil is Suing Countries to Block Climate Action. And then the subtitle, Oil and Gas Investors are Using a Little-Known Legal Tool to Successfully Argue that Climate Policies are Cutting into Their Profits. Now, I want to mention that 
back when I published my first piece on this in 2015, I was in contact with then U.S. Congressman Alan Grayson's office, and he called it out. He desperately wanted to see the agreement. Keep in mind, this was going on during the, the last round that I know of was during the, and it's still under, it's still being argued, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And during the Obama administration, so it's, it's not just Trump, it's not just Biden, this has gone on through both Republican and Democratic administrations. Um, during the Obama administration, uh, even Democrats, Alan Grayson could not get access to the deal they were expected to vote on, essentially rubber stamping it. And I remember being told by Grayson's office and by Grayson himself that, you know, he had to fight to get the slightest bit of access. And even then, they weren't allowed to, like, get a copy. They had to go into this little room, and they couldn't bring, like, the phone with them. They couldn't bring a recording device, nothing. They couldn't bring someone to help them. They were allowed 30 minutes with a little notepad and pencil to take a few notes. That was it. Now, here's the thing. If something's legitimate, it needs to be negotiated in public. There needs to be accountability and transparency. And, you know, Grayson fought valiantly, but it, it just didn't happen. And so that's what got me started in this. So let's talk about this piece in The Lever by Rashika Pardikar. Now, one of, the corp, one of the industries that most often is probably the most frequent user of ISDS, to no surprise anyone, is fossil fuel. Okay? And this is what the environmental component. So they're going to these private international tribunals to argue that basically any of these climate change policies, new climate change laws are, quote, illegally cutting into their profits. Actually, it gets worse than that. I'm going to go back to that old piece I wrote in 2015. Uh, but they're demanding they be compensated for loss of those profits. Now, again, I it, it's, it's weird. Um, no, um, noted... Uh, Nobel Prize winning economist Joseph Stiglitz referred to this, um, to this particular type of tool, ISDS. He called it litigation terrorism, and it is. Personally, excuse me, um, I consider it the poison pill of multinational trade agreements. So let's give you an example of this. In 2017, Nicolas Hulot, who was France's environmental minister at the time, he drafted a law that was trying to end fossil fuel extraction in France by 2040. So what happened? Vermilion is a Canadian oil and gas company. They threatened to use ISDS to sue the French government. Okay? And that was as documented by 10ISDSstories.org. Now, I got my information when I wrote about this in 2015 from an EU think tank called CEO, or Corporate Europe Observatory. And they published an ongoing study about these kangaroo courts, which they aptly title Red Carpet Courts. And Vermilion is one of the offending corporations. Their name kept popping up. So, and it's kind of ironic, too, because here in the United States, we love thinking that Canada is this environmental steward, but they aren't. Okay, Canadian companies are some of the worst polluters. They just don't trash their own country. Yeah, nothing like a little hypocrisy, right? 
So anyway, uh, in the end, the French law, you know, Hublot had to back down, and the law that he proposed was basically watered down to nothing, and it allowed new gas, oil and gas exploration even after 2040. So how do they do this stuff? What goes on here? Well, there's, there's more to it than just that, okay? Um, let's, this is called litigation terrorism for a reason. So ISDS clauses were added to international treaties, as I said earlier, in the 80s and 90s. And so this dates back, even before Bill Clinton, this dates back to the administrations, most likely of Reagan, George Bush Sr., then Clinton, then uh, George W. Bush, then Obama, Trump, and now Biden. Again, across the board, there is no difference here. Um, historically, the reason behind ISDS clauses basically protect the interests of foreign investors, and that's according to Leyden Mayranvar, who is a legal researcher at Columbia University's Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment. Mayranvar was quoted as saying, quote, they were never designed to promote a state's climate or human rights obligations towards other, hold, other rights holders. Let me repeat that again. IS, these, these, are, these um, multilateral, let me start again, getting a little disfluent here. These multinational trade agreements had ISDS put in them. And according to this Columbia University researcher from Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment, Leighton Marinvar, Marinvar said, quote, they, meaning these treaties and ISDS, were never designed to promote a state's interest. I'm sorry, to promote state's climate or human rights obligations towards other rights holders, okay? They are strictly meant, end quote, they're strict, ISDS is meant to protect corporations. Now, the way they do it under ISDS, if there's, say, a dispute, let's say the corporation says, no, you can't put these limitations on fossil fuel extraction, but it's a foreign corporation, let's say it's a Canadian corporation in Uruguay. I'm just making something up. Under ISDS, the matter is taken to an arbitration tribunal. And it's a panel of judges that allegedly are chosen jointly by both parties involved, which on the surface sounds perfectly reasonable, but it's not. Often the judges come from the ranks of corporate law firms who represent the same corporations they're supposed to impartially judge. Now that little bit there wasn't from the articles for me. There have been many experts that have criticized these international arbitration tri tribunals they, because they lack transparency. Uh, and they noted Sylvia Steininger, who is a research fellow working on international law and arbitration at the Max Planck Institute for Comparative Public Law and International Law, explained, quote, that the ability for affected people like local communities to give witness statements in such cases is, quote, very limited and often denied. So according to this researcher from the center, the Max Planck Institute for Comparative Public Law and International Law, when they have these tribunals, witness statements from people that live in those communities are, quote, either very limited and, quote, often denied. Now, here's the kicker. This is coming from me. Additionally, the parties to each case 
can decide to keep the results of the arbitration under wraps, further limiting public scrutiny and accountability. Okay? Arbitration is, in terms of a law practice, extremely lucrative. All right, these people make a bloody, an incredible amount of money. Um, and the arbitrators, according to Steininger, that same expert, she said, quote, arbitration is a very lucrative practice, uh, end quote. And she pointed out that the arbitrators are generally, quote, private business lawyers whose socialization prioritizes economic interests before other public concerns, such as human rights or the environment, end quote. And according to Steininger, this particular, you know, this particular situation has resulted in, quote, an elite group of approximately 50 arbitrators who are regularly appointed, end quote, to most cases. So there's, for the most part, 50 people that decide the fate of what happens when corporations dump on countries, on, you know, on communities, whatever. 50. They're unelected. There is no transparency. They're to sit, by the way, according to the article, these arbitration tribunals, their decisions are final. There is no appeal. There is no public record. Make no mistake about it. And you think, okay, I'm a little confused there. ISDS allows foreign companies to sue governments. So, for instance, an American corporation cannot use ISDS to sue the U.S. government. But an American corporation can use ISDS to say to the French government, for instance. And it goes back and forth. And what it does is allows for, quote, it allows foreign companies to bypass local courts, which could hold them accountable to local laws and regulations. Not just local courts. ISDS, this is me talking now, ISDS allows foreign corporations to bypass all federal law, too. So, for instance, Let's say there, there is a situation right now, actually, where, you know, President Biden set aside the, uh, the Keystone pipeline. The Canadian government is actually taking the U.S. government. I'm not Canadian government. Excuse me. It's a Canadian company that wants it. That Canadian corporation is taking the U.S. government to an ISDS tribunal where our government will probably lose. And the Canadian corporation will then gain the right to this, this really foolish project where this Keystone pipeline will, it'll be underground, but it, it's going to traverse underground through the main aquifer, which supplies most of the water to the American Midwest. And the Keystone pipeline is going to be trans, uh, basically uh, transporting what we call tar sands oil, which isn't oil at all. It's a very lethal form of, of uh, bituminous coal, and they use this stuff called a fracking fluid, which contains a lot of carcinogens as well. And so basically, if between the fracking fluid and the tar sands, if that gets into any part of our water supply, it, it can't, using present technology, it can't be cleaned up like we could clean up ordinary oil. This is far more toxic. That means that that particular water source would be ruined permanently. But, you know, corporations got to have their profits. Take a little drink here. I'm getting a little hoarse here. Now you think, okay, corporations, foreign corporations can sue governments, including federal government. So, again, a Canadian corporation can sue the U.S. government. 
So you think, well, can't the U.S. government sue these corporations? Nope, not under ISDS. Governments cannot sue foreign companies under ISDS. They can only file counters to some claims brought against them. And again, these arbitrators, for the most part, are a group of high-flying attorneys, 50 of them for the most part, 50 individuals that have a clear conflict of interest, according to Corporate Europe Observatory, decide all of this. I'd like, and, and again, the uh, discussions are kept secret. The result is kept secret. The public has no right to find out anything. You know, some of this information we found out, including Corporate Europe Observatory, came from WikiLeaks. Gee whiz, wonder why they want Assange so bad. That's why, in part. So, as I said earlier, Joseph Stiglitz, he's a world-renowned economist. He won the Nobel Prize for economics. He's the one that called the whole ISDS issue, quote, litigation terrorism. Okay, and that's as documented by Reuters. To quote Stiglitz, the quote, the threat of facing such very expensive arbitration proceedings including possible damage payments uh, including possible damage payments of millions or even billions of US dollars restricts the policy space of host states to impose regulations or amend laws which might impact impact investment activity okay okay let me back up here i made a mistake again i'm human too stiglitz called it litigation terrorism the last quote i read came from sylvia steininger I apologize, okay? Steininger went on to say, quote, governments are so fearful that foreign investors might sue them before an arbitration tribunal that they decide not to impose any policy changes, even when they would be necessary to safeguard human rights or protect the environment. There was a recent intergovernmental panel on climate change report. We talked about the IPCC report before on EJR, and the IPCC report did recognize ISDS, and that report also specifically uh, identified how fossil fuel companies use ISDS to, quote, block national legislation aimed at phasing out the use of their assets, end quote. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on. Now, there were a few progressive lawmakers. President Obama was not one of them. Uh, neither was Nancy Pelosi or anyone else that a lot of affluent liberals want to believe. The two were, were basically Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And both of them have crusaded against ISDS, in, ISDS provisions in American trade deals for quite a long time. Now, in 2017, uh, Warren wrote a letter to the U.S. trade representative during the Obama administration and you can find that at www.warren.senate.gov newsroom, and you can look it up. Warren urges U.S. trade reps to remove ISDS provisions during next round of NAFTA negotiations. Warren, Senator Warren wrote that the ISDS provisions, quote, give multinational corporations special rights to challenge American laws in corporate courts, a free pass to ignore our rules and bypass our, quote, our courts, end quote. Bernie Sanders then highlighted the example of the chaos caused by ISDS provisions during the debate over the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and that was that multilateral trade agreement 
that the Obama administration was put was pushing. Um, some of the things that the TPP proponents were pushing, um, you had examples, for instance, Philip Morris, the tobacco giant, was suing Uruguay under ISDS over its cigarette labeling requirements. Veolia is a French transnational company. They sued Egypt because among, there were several reasons, but among other things, according to this article, they were increasing workers' minimum wages. Um, and here's the thing. The case against Uruguay, okay, Philip Morris, big tobacco giant versus Uruguay. Uruguay. Apparently, the case was so ludicrous, so lacking in merit, that it was spotlighted on John Oliver's Last Week Tonight, and you can see it on YouTube, actually, where Oliver introduced this, what they call an anthropomorphic cartoon. It was, quote, just the diseased lung, and that represented the tobacco company. The show even put up uh, the cartoon up on billboards in Uruguay. Okay, so, you know, once again, this has gotten out of hand. Now, in 2020, when Biden was campaigning for president, he told the United Steelworkers that he opposes including ISDS clauses in trade agreements, and he said that they would allow, quote, private corporations to attack labor, health, environmental policies, end quote. And you can find that in www.law360.com. There's an article, Biden comes out against special tribunals for corporations. In 2018, NAFTA was renegotiated, according to ourcommons.ca, to remove ISDF from uh, agreements between the U.S. and Canada, and the clauses were also scaled back between the U.S. and Mexico. The United Nations Commission, and I'm just reading straight from this article now, an international trade law quote is currently looking to reform ISDF mechanisms, and that's, you can find that at uncatral.un.org. You know, according to this, the person that wrote this article, there's a section titled, quote, it boils down to just political will, and it's true. Take a little drink here. Mm. Um, according to this article, the fossil fuel industry has about 20% of all ISDS arbitrations, making it the most litigious. And that was based on a report from www.iisd.org, Investor State Disputes Fossil Fuel Industry. And this was by the International Institute for Sustainable Development. And that's the think tank that works on not only climate issues, but sustainability, obviously. Okay. So this is what we're dealing with here. Um, There's another, there was another paper here. Um, let's see, the new science paper, Science Journal, uh, found that if all governments canceled oil and gas projects based on the net zero recommendations made by the IAEA, the International Energy Agency, that practically every nation around the world would face damages through this ISDS nonsense, ranging from 60 to $234 billion. My response is, what if we just refuse to pay? Okay, these corporations don't have armies. What if we just refuse to pay? And there have been a few countries that did that. Now, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the worst offense 
offenses using ISDS. No shock here, because again, this is about and this show is the Environmental Justice Report, and we deal with issues of environmental racism. And ISDS, you could argue, is another tool of a colonialistic mentality. Uh, it is another tool of basically economic racism as well as environmental racism because according to um let's see now lost my lost my place here um excuse me folks according to i hate when this happens uh, a, a researcher named Merengar at the Columbia Center of Sustainable Invent Sustainable Investment um, was said the ISDS system was quote designed to work in favor of capital of which the global north is the source and against resource rich and economically disadvantaged states of the global south. Okay, so again, there's there's no there's no you know. There's no mystery here, okay? All righty. So let's move on here, okay? Let's go back. I'm going to actually explain ISDS in a little more detail. This is based on a piece that I wrote and was published back in 2015. And as I said before, it ran in UK Progressive, which is now defunct, unfortunately, and Nation of Change and several others. And it really explains in depth. And the first, the beginning of the article has a very chilling quote that shows this, this mentality of these corporate raiders, okay? Um, the headline is Liquid Plutonium Destined for Your Kid's Cereal, Courtesy of NAFTA TPP ISDS, okay? Here's the first quote, and it came from a source at Huffington Post. Quote, it wouldn't matter if a substance was liquid plutonium destined for a child's breakfast cereal. If the government bans a product and a U.S.-based company loses profits, the company can claim damages under NAFTA, end quote. I'm just going to read from my article. This bone-chilling response came from a corporate attorney working for the Ethel Corporation during a 1997 NAFTA challenge against the Canadian government. Canada had outlawed the gasoline additive MMT over possible health concerns. Now, Ethel was the U.S. corporation that produced the gasoline additive MMT, which had been banned in Canada. Ethel Corporation brought its objection to the International Arbitration Panel under the Investor State Dispute Settlement System, a.k.a. ISDS, to claim damages for lost profits under NAFTA. Ethel argued that law banning this additive was, quote, tantamount to expropriation, end quote. Under NAFTA, Ethel won and consumers lost. The Canadian government had to transfer $13 million from taxpayers to Ethel. That should make you angry. Again, I am reading straight from my own article because, frankly, I guess it was just way ahead of its time. It, just, it explains it. It just does. The Canadian people's right to self-govern was nullified by this corporate pseudo-legal theft. Concerns over possible health damage or even the right of self-governance was sacrificed to the gods of corporate profits. Subsequently, the callous arrogance of the liquid plutonium in Junior's Captain Crunch commentary merely matched the arrogance of this new class 
of corporate royalists, namely the arbitrators of the investor state dispute settlement industry, a.k.a. ISDS. ISDS, the core weapon of mass destruction in BITs, MITs, IITs, including TPP and TTIP. Okay, all these acronyms, whether a BIT is a bilateral investment trade agreement, which means between two, comp, two, two groups. MIT would be multilateral, okay? The Investor State Dispute Settlement Contrivance, or ISDS, is the political wet dream of the judicial industrial A Goliath by legal standards, ISDS is the extrajudicial glue which holds together together a more a new, more lethal form of corporate feudalism. Corporations and corporate legal firms win and the rest of us lose as armies of arbitration attorneys and appointed arbitrators create, quote, get out of jail free cards for corporate criminals wholesale. What is ISDS? ISDS, or International Investor Arbitration, is an alleged mediation tool between party signatories of any IIT, okay, in other words, investment treaties. It was created by the granddaddy of all IITs, namely NAFTA, under Bill Clinton. Chapter 11 of NAFTA empowers ISDS as the instrument to provide foreign investors standing for legal certainty, end quote. Okay, think about that. Chapter 11 of NAFTA. So I'm going to interrupt this for a minute here. Just many of us hated NAFTA. And just when you thought it couldn't get worse, Chapter 11 in the original NAFTA treaty under Bill Clinton allowed for this ISDS scam. Okay? Put bluntly. And the source was straight from the State Department, www.state.gov. For, and they want legal certainty. Okay, you, gotta, you have to understand what that means. In other words, these foreign investors wanted a guarantee that they would never lose profits. Now, I'm not reading from my article right now. I'm just talking. If you or I invest in the stock market or in a small business or whatever, we don't get a guarantee. Why should they? But that's what they were demanding, and they got it. Listen on. Back to the article. Foreign investors, read foreign corporations, demanded an end run around the legitimate rule of law in what they perceived as unstable nations. Apparently, democracies are considered, quote, unstable. These foreign corporations weren't satisfied with the gamble involved in any business investment. They demanded a stacked deck. Thus, the semantic device dubbed legal certainty was born, and with it, the International Arbitration Tribunal. No rights exist in these arbitration tribunals unless the tribunal says so, period. Think about that. ISDS was devised to, devised to provide legal cover for massive corporate theft via the use of secretive arbitration tribunals, a.k.a. the legal mafia, in air quotes, end quote. And a court, the source was globalarbitrationreview.com. They referred to, some of their people referred to the tribunals as Yes, the legal mafia. ISDS thus became the bastard child of NAFTA. How ISDS works. Three corporate attorneys are appointed to serve as de facto judge, jury, and executioner in a one-sided lawsuit of any unfortunate nation daring to challenge corporate rule through actual self-government as an independent state. Under ISDS, international corporations have been granted 
unlimited rights to sue any government over alleged profits loss, whether real or imagined. Corporations may also sue for any argued future profits loss. I'm going to stop here for a second from the article. How in the world are they going to know what their future profits loss is? But that allows them to do that. So they can just make up numbers and get away with it. Back to my article. Quote, corporations have the power to claim unlimited monetary damages and taxpayers foot the bill. The arbitrators themselves are unelected and unknown to the general public. All proceedings of the arbitration are secret. No right of appeal exists for any nation state. Payment arrangements to the arbitrators are also withheld from the public. Any area of law is subject to the ISDS panel. Listen to that again. Back to the article. Quote, any area of law is subject to the ISDS panel. The most, and again, this was in 2015. As of 2015, the most recent IIT, namely the U.S. Trans-Pacific Pact, or TPP, has been the subject of intense fighting between President Obama and his corporate allies and the political far left over the surrender of national sovereignty to the arbitration lawyers, end quote. You have to understand, this piece was written in 2015. But the information in it still holds true. Back to the piece. Quote, leaked draft text of the TPP described investor protections, which further incentivized increased offshoring of jobs with undisclosed benefits. I'm going to read that again. Think about it for a second. Okay. Another drink. Quote, leaked draft text of the TPP described, in air quotes, investor protections, which further incentivized increased offshoring of jobs with undisclosed benefits. Regulation of finance capital, such as banning derivatives, currency manipulation, and other financial weapons of mass destruction would be prohibited. Okay. U.S. property rights to public natural, U.S. property rights to public natural resources are struck down in favor of vaguely worded international standards, which would be determined by the unelected international tribunal in secret deliberations, never meant to see the light of day, end quote. So even our public holding, our public property, our public natural resources, corporations can attack them and get away with it. Back to this piece. Again, it's not that I'm just ganging up on then-President Obama. Bill Clinton was involved. Both Bushes were involved. Reagan was probably involved. Trump was involved. Biden's involved. It's all the same thing, okay? This happened to be going on Obama because it was during his administration. Quote, though Obama swears concerns over labor, environmental, and human rights have been protected with language in the TPP mandating elevated, okay, let me start again. That came out wrong. Quote, <laughs> sorry about that, folks. I'm tired today. Quote, though Obama swears concerns over in labor, environmental rights, environmental and human rights have been protected with language in the TPP mandating elevated levels of protection to match U.S. standards, the very nature of ISDS renders such oaths impotent. And the source was whitehouse.gov.blog. Again, you know, President Obama was swearing that, 
you know, the concerns for labor, environmental, and human rights would match what we see in the U.S. Because, again, ISDS allows, just to remind you, foreign corporations to sue governments and get away with it. But, again, because of the structure of ISDS, president, any president's uh, guarantee that these standards will be respected is a lie. There's no way it could be just because of the very structure of ISDS. It's ludicrous. Let's go back to the article. Quote, any area of law, whether environmental, public health, food safety, water rights, currency standards, financial regulations, or even civil liberties, is fair game to be sued. This license to push frivolous lawsuits against governments also extends to statutes deemed unfavorable to corporate, including those written in the trade agreement itself. Subsequently, alleged protections in BITs, MITs, like TPP, have the value of toilet paper. So, end quote. So, according to this, even if President Obama, and he probably was telling the truth that, you know, they put protections in the TPP to make sure that um, human rights, environmental rights, and labor rights were respected in the TPP, the fact is the right of corporations to sue over anything includes those things that were already written into the same treaty. So it's, and Obama knows it, okay? Let, let's get a little real here. You know, all these Ivy League trained lawyers, they know this, okay? So it doesn't matter. Shock and awe, and back to the article, shock and awe, economic, legal, globalization is here. And that, the source is opendemocracy.net. Um, a piece written by Cecilia Olivet and Pia Eberhardt. The study was called Profiting from Injustice, Challenging Investment Arbitration Industry. Okay, let's move on. EU think tanks expose ISDS as fraud. The Corporate Europe Observatory and the Transnational Institute published a major study in 2012, began in 2012, it keeps going, titled, quote, Profiting from Injustice, How Law Firms, Arbitrators, and Financiers are fueling an investment arbitration boom, end quote. The study explains how all of these trade agreements have at their core this investment arbitration clause, which replaces legitimate courts with a panel of three self-appointed investment arbitrators granted the undemocratic power of kings. A quote from that study, quote, corporations have been granted the exclusive right to sue states, states cannot sue corporations, at secretive international tribunals for action deemed to unfairly affect investor profits, end quote. Since the arbitration tribunal attorneys come from the ranks of the legal corporate elite, this process is more a dark ages redux of the cart star chamber than the actual rule of law. In fact, the arbitrators themselves are dubbed the, quote, legal mafia, again from that same study. Challenging ISDS, facts don't match arbitrators' claims. Here's where WikiLeaks comes in, and this is a big reason why they are desperate to put Assange away forever. Quote, okay, this is from from my article. Since WikiLeaks dumped TPP documents online, there has been a backlash against this judicial-industrial complex. Again, the Profiting from Injustice study published 11 key findings explaining how the arbitration industry is instigating and growing injustice worldwide 
with the ISDS process. Below are the 11 key findings, and this is from the study. Here they are. One, the number of investment arbitration cases as well as the sum of money involved has surged in the last two decades. Two, the boom in arbitration has created bonanza profits for investment lawyers paid for by taxpayers. Three, the international investment arbitration industry is dominated by a small and tight-knit hemisphere-based community of law firms and elite arbitrators. Four, arbitrators tend to defend private investor rights above public interest, revealing an inherent pro-corporate bias. Five, law firms with specialized arbitration departments seek out every opportunity to sue countries encouraging lawsuits against governments in crisis. Six, investment lawyers, including elite arbitrators, have aggressively promoted investment arbitration as a necessary condition for the attraction of foreign investment, despite evidence to the contrary. Seven, investment lawyers who encourage governments to sign investment treaties using language that maximizes possibilities for litigation. They have then used these vaguely worded treaty provisions to increase the number of cases. Eight, arbitration firms, I'm sorry, eight, arbitration law firms as well as elite arbitrators have used positions of influence to actively lobby against any reforms to the international investment regime, notably in the U.S. and the EU. Nine, there is a revolving door between investment lawyers and government policymakers that bolsters an unjust investment regime. 10, investment lawyers have a firm grip on academic discourse on investment law and arbitration, producing a large part of the academic writings on the subject, end quote, which means that they have a bias and they shouldn't be considered academic, it should be considered editorial. Okay, back to the piece. And 11, the investment arbitration system is becoming increasingly integrated with the speculative financial world with investment funds helping fund investor state disputes in exchange for a share in any granted award or settlement, end quote. That's all from the study, the 11 main points. That last point, there is part of the investment uh, the investment uh, community, you know, speculators, investment speculators that are betting on the corporations, you know, actually helping to fund these bogus lawsuits against governments as long as they get a piece of the pie. I'd say calling this a legal mafia a bit too kind. Let's move on. Hmm. So again, this is more from Corporate Europe Observatory. They do great work. More about ISDS and the legal mafia, the ultimate con. It's called legal mafia for good reason. Even the alleged guardians of this dubious system practically pinch themselves at the utter stupidity or complicity of nations signing on to this con. In the words of Juan Fernando Armesto, an arbitrator from Spain, quote, when I wake up at night and think about arbitration, it never ceases to amaze me that sovereign states have agreed to investment arbitration at all. Three private individuals are entrusted with the power to review, without any restriction or appeal procedure, 
all actions of the government, all decisions of the courts, and all laws and regulations emanating from Parliament. And the source was from Sebastian Perry. Um, it was in Global Arbitration Review, Volume 7, Arbitration Council, The Double Hat Syndrome. Moving on, this mockery of justice grows even more blatant as one arbitrator jokes about where the next victim will come from. To quote Peter Snyder, CEO of New Media Strategies, quote, it's basically venture law these days. So you have investors coming in and trying to say, hey, who can we sue next? I'm going to put up $5 million and let's do some discovery and see where we go from there and really try to reap a windfall, end quote. That source was the Institute for Legal Reform.com. Moving on back to the piece, back to my article. ISDS has become, sorry, my computer's acting up. ISDS has become a major moneymaker for corporate law firms and third party speculators. I just said that a minute ago. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, third party funding of these investment disputes under ISDS has become routine. To quote another legal arbitrator, we're quoting the arbitrators, mind you. Quote, the whole theory is to take the legal system and turn it into a stock market, end quote. Now, that source was from William Alden in 2012. Um, the article ran in the New York Times. The headline was, Looking to Make a Profit on Lawsuits, Firms Invest in Them. Okay, so let's move on again. Back to my article. It's about Obama because this was during the Obama administration. Obama's many lies of omission on ISDS. He didn't, like, tell direct lies, but he's left important details out. Oh, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, folks. Mm. President Obama has a Pinocchio problem. So I want people to know, I don't just pick on conservatives. Okay? It's whoever did whatever they did. President Obama has a Pinocchio problem. His latest whopper is the specious claim that the TPP, now there's a Trans-Pacific Pact, and by default, ISDS, will not usurp our national sovereignty. Obama claims further that the TPP, ISDS, will not be able to reverse gains in health, labor rights, environmental concerns, or general civil liberties. The source was Salon in 2015. The headline was the 10 biggest lies you've been told about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. President Obama claimed that, quote, critics warned that parts of this deal would undermine American regulation, food safety, worker safety, even financial regulation. They're making this stuff up. This is just not true. No trade agreement is going to force us to change our laws. Okay, the source was realclearpolitics.com. Um, the headline was Obama, Democratic critics of free trade policy are wrong. Going on with the article, okay? Well, President Pinocchio, like most presidents, loves his half-truths. While the ISDS procedure doesn't directly force countries, let me start again. While the ISDS procedure doesn't directly force countries to change their laws, it does create a litigious environment where any government entity will be drained of taxpayer funds through unlimited damages paid to international corporations via the ISDS kangaroo court. In essence, democratic rule of law becomes too expensive to maintain. Even White House blogger Jeff Zeist had to chime in from the peanut gallery, 
These claim that the ISDS does, quote, does not and cannot require countries to change any law or regulation, end quote. And this is from whitehousegov.gov.blog. This is correct as far as it goes. While ISDS arbitrators cannot require, quote, countries to change any law or regulation, end quote, ISDS also failed to forbid such corporate interference with any sovereign nation's right to decide its own fate. Like many similar IITs, the devil's in the details. Under ISDS, even allegations of corporate profits loss minus any actual proof serves as grounds to rob the public coffers blind. It never ceases to amaze, how, amaze me how these attorneys and bureaucrats push agreements they would never sign for themselves. Mr. Zeese and President Obama are borrowing their bureaucratic stylings from the Bill Clinton School of Legal Double Talk, using the same moral underpinnings as arguing, quote, the meaning of the word is, is, end quote. Obama lied in another White House fact sheet guaranteeing that, quote, through the Trans-Pacific Partnership, we are renegotiating NAFTA and instituting, this is a quote from Obama, and instituting stronger, fully enforceable labor and environmental standards. These high standards will not only bring hundreds of millions of people under enforceable labor standards and protect endangered wildlife in one of the fastest growing regions of the world, they will also help the playing field for workers and businesses here at home by ensuring our trade partners are playing by the rules, end quote. And that's from whitehouse.gov um, issues. Lovely quote. Okay, as usual, President Obama is very eloquent, but it's not quite that simple. Back to my article. That is until corporate attorneys sue for projected future profits loss, losses under ISDS. I wonder if this applies to the guy talking about liquid plutonium in your kid's cereal. The crude fact remains that the public will have to take the arbitration panel's word as truth given the secretive nature of the latest USMIT, the, TT, the TPP. Still, this president couldn't resist another lie of omission. In response to allegations from U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren that Congress was being denied the right to read and review the, let me start again. So this is this thing where Alan Grayson, as well as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie were all saying, look, they're being denied the right to read the proposed treaty that they're going to be forced to vote on. Back to my article. Still, this president couldn't resist another lie of omission. In response to allegations from U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren that Congress was being denied the right to read and review the TPP, the president smugly explained that members of Congress may, quote, walk over and read the text of the agreement, end quote, and that's according to the Washington Post. What Obama conveniently neglected to mention is that members of Congress are prohibited by law upon pain of criminal prosecution from discussing any part of the TPP with the public, and that is from reader-supported news. Oxford professor calls that ISDS is post-law, not rule of law. So what we found out here is that members of Congress not only were being denied access, they couldn't discuss the TPP back in 2015, and these other treaties are pretty much the same. Okay? If they discussed it with each other, they could have faced criminal prosecution. Now, I'm just discussing this. If you have a legitimate point of view and a legitimate case to make, why do you need to threaten members of Congress with criminal prosecution for doing their job discussing the merits or the deficits in, for instance, back in 2015, the TPP, which is still being argued? 
Okay? That's my article. Oxford University Professor Emeritus Colin Crouch illuminates the real motive behind TTIPs and by relation to USTPP. So this, all this alphabet soup is just acronyms for these various treaties. For uh, the real motive for this behind these treaties, sole use of the ISDS corporate arbitration process and subsequently contradicts Obama's ludicrous ISDA, ISDS claims, according to uh, Oxford University professor emeritus Colin Crouch, quote, most tariff barriers have already been negotiated away in various global agreements. What remain are the so-called non-tariff barriers. These extend from rules that are clearly intended solely to keep international competitors out of domestic markets to regulations seriously designed to protect health, labor rights, and various concepts of public and collective good. It's over these latter issues that alarm bells have been ringing, end quote. Now, what Professor Crouch is saying is this. For those of you that don't know what a tariff is, tariff is basically an international tax. So basically, you know, Corporation X wants to market goods, let's say, in France, they pay a tax, which kind of puts them at a slight disadvantage over goods made in France, or a host country, in other words. And it's just, you know, it, that's what most trade treaties up till NAFTA were all about. They were about basically dealing with these tax issues, not anything else. And it shouldn't be about anything else. But ISDS was promoted so that corporations could do just what Obama said they wouldn't, could basically trample labor rights, trample environmental rights, trample human rights. You get the idea. ISDS was created to destroy all these rights that have nothing to do with tariffs and ISDS should never be incorporated into any trade agreement. It just shouldn't. Okay? Now, Colin Crouch is an emeritus professor at the Warwick Business School, University of Oxford, and his research specialties, the professor I just quoted, are, quote, structure of European societies, labor market, gender, family, economic sociology, neo-institutional analysis, and local economic development and public service reform. And that's quoted, um, the source is sociology.ac.uk as part of the academic staff. Crouch adds, back to my article, Crouch adds a very succinct point on ISDS, calling out the arbitration procedure as less a post-democracy action than action which is post-law. To quote Professor Crouch, quote, TTIP proposes a procedure known as Investor State Dispute Settlement, or ISDS. A key focus of controversy here has been that such procedures do not use normal law courts with established judges, but arbitration panels comprise solely of corporate lawyers, people who earn most of their money working for corporations. Indeed, this is not so much post-democracy as post-law, end quote. And the source is www.ippr.org, um, and the headline is Democracy at a Tipping Point, Seizing a Slim Chance to Reassert Democratic Sovereignty in Europe. To those who doubt Professor Crouch's position, remember, he wrote the book. He titled it Post-Democracy, and you can find it actually on Amazon. i take another drink here. It's a lot here. You can, hopefully you can see why I'm reading this old article from 2015, because 
unwittingly what I was writing about was way ahead of the curve, and I didn't realize it at the time. UN, back to the article, UN expert says ISDS violates international human rights law. Alfred Desaias is the UN's independent expert on the idea of a democratic and equitable international order focusing on human rights. He has examined the secretive and post-law nature of bilateral and multilateral free trade agreements through a human rights lens. Again, this was written in 2015. Desaias challenges the predatory nature of ISDS, which allows corporations the right to ransack public coffers via frivolous lawsuits, challenging domestic laws if the corporation feels future profits, future profits will suffer. Desaias further attacks the corporate attorneys who routinely, let me go back here, Desaias further attacks the corporate attorneys who routinely switch sides as plaintiffs, defendants, and or arbitrators on obvious conflict of interest charges. I have to read that, that sentence again. Let that sink in, how incredibly corrupt this is. Desaias attacks the corporate attorneys, quote, who routinely switch sides as plaintiffs, defendants, and or arbitrators on obvious conflict of interest charges. Keep in mind, a lot of this information came from WikiLeaks. No wonder they are desperate to destroy, um, you know, to destroy him, Assange. All right? You know, this information is already out there. They're counting on these corporations and corporate lackey politicians are counting on corporate media to just bury this <coughs> so people forget about it. And as for going, against Assange, going after Assange, they want to make sure that no journalist ever challenges them, that no journalist ever publishes the truth ever again. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, let's go back to the article. ISDS's clear lack of accountability and transparency violates international human rights law under Article 14 of the ICCPR, which mandates that lawsuits are adjudicated by independent tribunals. Because, once again, these arbitration panels are not independent at all. He further argues that the parallel system ISDS has maintained, which remains exempt from democratic scrutiny or right of appeal, is contrary to any legitimate rule of law. Finally, Desaias starts cites the UN Charter, which clearly states that free trade or investment agreements, including ISDS cases, must honor national sovereignty and human rights, to quote Desaias. Quote, pursuant to Article 103 of the Charter Provisions of Free Trade and Investment Agreements, as well as decisions of ISDS arbitrators, must conform with the UN Charter and must not lead to a violation, erosion of, or retrogression in human rights protection or compromise. State sovereignty and the state's fundamental obligation to ensure the human rights and well-being of all persons living under its jurisdiction. Agreements or arbitral decisions that violate international human rights law are null and void as incompatible with Article 103 of the UN Charter and contrary to international order public, end quote. And that's from www.ohchr.org. Again, at this time, back in 2015, I was in contact with then U.S. Congressman Alan Grayson. And here's what Grayson had to say. <coughs> Excuse me. Back to the article. 
Congressman Alan Grayson calls out ISDS as, quote, justice for sale, end quote, and he was really right about that. Uh, U.S. Congressman Alan Grayson has termed this conflict of interest more succinctly as he explains, quote, they, TTP, International Tribunal slash ISDS, replace our five-step established court systems for claims against the government with an alternative system that is wired for the benefit of multinational corporations. TPP establishes procedures that are essentially abrogating our democracy. It, ISDS, is justice for sale, end quote. And that came from a phone interview I had with then-Congressman Grayson on June 21st, 2013. So it was an earlier communication. Peace, but all the information still holds true, and I think it's a good explanation. So... Conclusion, these economic royalists and their invading armies of corporate attorneys would have the rest of us passively accept this political Stockholm syndrome as they aggressively dismantle the very core of democracy itself. What these corporate royalists and their attorney enablers lack in terms of the humanity chip is irrelevant. Since the beginning of any democratic governance from Magna Carta, the U.S. Bill of Rights, and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, one simple truth has emerged. We have the right to self-govern. Furthermore, rule of law must remain unbiased, granting no privilege to the rich and powerful. ISDS represents a corrupt transition from rule of law to post-law rule. The corporate attorneys and legislators who have turned a blind eye on justice in favor of oligarchy must be held criminally accountable. Rule of law is more than empty words on paper. It must represent justice and fairness. Though previous laws granted legal cover for crimes such as slavery and child abuse, these laws were overthrown and recognized as crimes against humanity. ISDS, in its present post-law form, constitutes a crime against humanity. Finally, no president, prime minister, legislature, parliament or court, whether by contractual language, trade treaty, or national security concern, possesses the legitimate right to sign away or otherwise strip the people of their sovereign human rights. This includes, but it is not limited to, the right to self-govern through direct democracy, period. To do otherwise constitutes high treason. So this last little bit here was kind of a dig. This was written in 2015. And at the time, in 2015, um, I think uh, Chelsea, Clinton, Ms. Vinsky had had her little girl, Charlotte. And it goes back to the original quote. On a more personal note, excuse me, on a more personal note, I wonder how long Hillary will maintain her silent support of the arbitration tribunal established under her husband's NAFTA treaty if granddaughter Charlotte mistakenly swallows some, quote, liquid plutonium laced in her Captain Crunch courtesy of the legal mafia, end quote. Again, this represents an abrogation of not only democracy, it's an abrogation of the trust that we are supposed to put in our elected representatives. Now, I'm not reading anymore. And it's something that we have to really deal with. This is something that has gone on since the 80s. And it really took hold. ISDS really took hold during the original NAFTA treaty negotiated by then-President Bill Clinton. It has been rubber-stamped and approved by every president, Democrat and Republican alike, since then. 
And the only people, it seems, that were really fighting to find out what was in the late, first in the TPP in 2015, were Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Alan Grayson. That's it. It doesn't matter if you have a favorite, uh, you know, favorite liberal champion, whatever. Now, AOC and the others weren't in office at the time. I understand that. But my point right now is, and I know we have a lot going on, where the hell are those progressives on this? ISDS is totally illegitimate. This is corporate rule. This is fascism. Make no mistake about it. And it has to end. So, again, I brought back this old article that I wrote back in 2015 because I thought it was a good explanation. There's more to it than just that. Because I did a series. You can check it out yourself. All you have to do is Google my name, Janine Moloff, and just put ISDS series, and you will find the next, uh, the next report on that. Uh, I'm working on a journalistic book right now, which is going to deal in gory detail with some of this. So once again, I hope that you learned something from it. Um, I think it's really sad that even our most progressive news outlets, such as the Young Turks, have first discovered this like this is something new. It's not. Where were they back then? Okay. And you can understand that excuse me, since a lot of this information came from WikiLeaks, you can certainly understand why all these governments are determined to literally, practically crucify Assange. This is why. It's revenge. He exposed what was really going on. And we had a right to know. Bottom line. We had a right to know. And so the idea that our government here in the U.S. is extraditing Assange. Shame on President Biden. The Obama administration before did the same thing. Every administration. Assange did what he was supposed to do. Maybe some of that information was considered classified. But when you expose a crime through using leaked information, the person using the information, the person leaking the information so the public can get justice, no, they should not face charges. That's not espionage. That's journalism, baby. All right, so that's our big report today. Now, let me see if I can get this here. <coughs> Excuse me. Hold on. Hopefully I won't disconnect anybody. We are getting ready. Give me a second here. We're getting ready for our our Jackass of the Week report. Okay. I'm still technically challenged, so I'm kind of using different tools to try and get this. To get this sound effect. I, I love it. I think it's so funny. So give me a second here. We have to have the sound effects. It's just too much fun that way. Ah, come on. This thing is slow. All right. So we're going we're getting ready for our Jackass of the Week award. And this is something that I enjoy a, a great deal actually. So oh. I enjoy this a great deal. Kind of bear with me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
getting ready for our Jackass of the Week report. It's EJR Jackass of the Week Award! <laughs> oh, Marjorie, you never sounded better. Okay, our Jackass of the Week Award, that was just too much fun. Our Jackass of the Week Award goes once again to, drumroll please, Marjorie Taylor Green. Just when you thought this woman couldn't prove herself to be more... I don't know what the word is. Uh, moronic. Is it, you know, you, you, I'm, I saw the story on the Young Turks, and Shank was saying, you know, you should feel, you almost feel sorry for her. Well, I don't feel sorry for her. Okay, yes, she's stupid. But she's also a raving white supremacist, neo-Nazi. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't feel sorry for this woman. Her latest little nonsense, you know, before that it was, of course, as, as a Jewish person myself, don't you know, we all have space lasers coming out of our eyeballs, right? God. Um, I, I don't know how she ever escaped the rubber room, seriously. But uh, this time around, it's all about tampons. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, she's got this. She was on a, a, a YouTube channel or whatever, and she's spreading this this rumor, rumor is, it's really transphobic. She's saying that the tampon shortage, and apparently there is a tampon shortage right now, and it, it's due to the supply chain problem, and she's blaming it on trans people. And she's claiming that trans men are causing the tampon shortage because they're buying tampons. <laughs> she, she was on, um, there, some of this was on an episode of her podcast, MTG Live, and I'm going to try and imitate her you know, her accent. Quote, men have taken over everything. They're women of the year in every category, in women's categories. And the latest news is there's a shortage of tampons. And that's probably because men are buying tampons, end quote. Okay, you just can't. It's so ludicrous, all right? We know that the tampon shortage, and there is one, are there's some supply chain snarls, as they put it. Uh, this, the information I'm getting is from an article from Business Insider. Um, and a Procter & Gamble spokesperson, according to time.com. Um, okay, let me back up. So basically, Business Insider did this piece. And, you know, Green just outed herself for being just incredibly dumb, all right? Um, she also tweeted about the issue. Forget the fact this is based on supply chain problems, right? Um, she goes on to say, quote, uh, from her tweet, people who manstrate can't find tampons. Has anyone checked the warehouses at the border where all the baby formula is stocked floor to ceiling on shelves? Or maybe some men's restrooms. Apparently they're available there, end quote. Oh, my God. All right. That, that's just, it's so wrong on so many levels. Uh, so, you know, again, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for this insane idea, has uh, basically been granted the Jackass of the Year, a Jackass of the Week Award. We hope you enjoy your award, Marjorie. Pray on. 
Ray on, Marjorie. Ray on. All right. So anyway, I'm sorry. I could not resist. It was just, oh, that woman just really pushes my buttons. Um, so much so that I, I just, I'm afraid my, my face lasers and my eyeballs are going to just start shooting people right and left, you know? Face lasers and eyeballs. Can you imagine? Okay. So I, I don't know why. Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't in a rubber room right now. I'm serious. But, you know, that's American politics, all right? It, it, it's just, that's sad. So, anyway, that's our, that's our show for today. This was EJR, the Environmental Justice Report. Next week, we'll be, next Sunday, we'll be back with Progressive News Network. Uh, our founder, Rick Spizak, has an interview with Progressive Wen- Professor Wendy Lee on the January 6th um, committee findings and the Proud Boys and all that. So I hope you join us again. Um, That's our report. With that, I say good night and, oh, God bless us.